Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Hello and welcome to the Over and Back Classic NBA Podcast. I am Jason and with me as usual is my friend Rich. Hello, Rich. Hello. How are things? Uh, Things are pretty good. Things are pretty good. Nice. Yeah, life's doing okay, I guess. All things considered, yeah. it's it's right. It's fine. It's is, it, is the pandemic done yet? Um, yeah. We're, no, we're, no, no. Somehow, no, <laughs> no. Somehow, no. Huh. Uh, no. Weird. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's not. I. Yeah. You would okay. think it would, but no. Yeah. It's it's yeah. not. But uh, I mean, everyone got vaccinated, right? So. It wasn't uh, like yes. A yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Everybody, yeah. but those who could not get vaccinated because they had a you know immunocompromised. But yes, everybody else made the right decision and got vaccinated. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah, they didn't take horse medicine. They just got they, <laughs> right. They, they they all... it. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Huh. But uh, yeah. all things considered, yeah, it's going pretty good. And there's all right. some, there's some fun basketball stuff going. We had a really fun off season, I would say, and yeah, into a yeah. pretty fun season. So I'm I'm excited. Yeah, the NBA's the NBA's a lot of fun right now. So should be a good season. Yeah, we'll we'll see. Yeah, we've had some. Um, you know the. The off season is almost like its own season now, you know, but it wasn't like that for a long time in NBA history. You know, this free agency, I mean, it didn't really exist in any kind of significant form until the late seventies. And then it took a long time for there to really be like the, you know, this derby of free agents. It was almost, you know, really until like the late nineties, early two thousands where free agency became, you know, there was significant player movement where the, you know, the league, you know, a third or a fourth or half the league is, you know, getting transitioned into a season. You know, before then it was extremely rare. So we thought it'd be kind of cool to look back at the quaint early days of NBA free agency. Yeah, it's, it's it, we're going to do a little bit of the basic history of free agency and then a little bit of those early early off seasons where finally the NBA says, "All right, you guys want free agency, you got free agency." But then like nobody really moves or you know some people move right. here or there or you know the rules that are in place are much much different i mean we're, we'll talk about that now uh, you know in, in a bit but yeah the days like you said of, of a third of the league or half the league just up and moving teams every single offseason that that was not the case there's there is years that have like four people that change teams or four different uh you know, right. free agent signings so yeah it is it is 
nothing like it is today. And it really, it would take many, many, many years. I mean, in our lifetimes, even uh, for free. I mean, there, there are, yeah, there are years in, in both of our lives and in, in both of our NBA fandoms and most people that are listening to NBA fandoms that there was nothing happening in free agency. I mean, it is a v- yeah. very relatively new thing that all of a sudden it's just this giant bonanza for, for a month and a half where everybody's changing, everyone's moving, everyone's doing stuff like that just was not the case for a lot of NBA history. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I mean, basically free agency comes to the NBA in 1976 as part of the settlement of the Oscar Robertson lawsuit. Um, it, there were in, a few instances of it before 76, 77, and we'll, we'll talk about those. But, you know, it really it, it comes to the league for them. Before then, you know, there's the reserve clause. Basically, a, a team has, you know, uh, you know, the only way that a player can leave the team is, um, you know, if the team basically doesn't want him anymore. That, that, you know, there's a few exceptions of that, but that's pretty much the what happens for the most part. Uh, of course, the ABA comes in the late 60s and suddenly there's a bit of player movement, you know, guys switching leagues. And, you know, that adds a little bit of the player freedom, but you know, it doesn't really take off until um, the late 70s. And even then, it's much more limited form, as we said, than today. But so um, yeah, Oscar Robertson had a quote, uh, his advice to NBA free agents, take advantage of it. You only come this way once. When it's gone, it's gone. You're not going to be able to come back and play anymore. So, um, you know, and. It began class action antitrust suits filed against the NBA and its teams in 1970. Um, Oscar Robinson was president of the uh, the NBA Players Association um, and uh, the reps from the other 13 franchises at the time. He was with the Royals. There were 14 teams total. Uh, they were co-plaintiffs. And um, he had been the union president since 1965. He was the first African-American president of any national sports or entertainment labor union. Um, and then, you know, 1970, I did, uh, not to interrupt, I did find it ironic that Bob Cousy in 1954 was the, uh, the first president of the, uh, yes, it appears that his, yeah. uh, I, I would assume that his, uh, take on unions has uh, changed a lot, uh, in, in, in recent history, I would assume oh. given his other political uh, yes. affiliations, but maybe not, you can twist yourself into pretzels yeah. for uh, a certain person yeah. some these days the, where people are not always consistent no yeah, so, i live my but, life with people and i'm like but but you're in a union okay all right yeah but you, believe, yeah, <laughs> but you yeah. literally are in a union right. okay all right doesn't, doesn't make sense yeah huh, but, but this guy and you're okay all right yeah <laughs> whatever, uh, whatever. Uh, hey uh take that horse tranquilizer see how that goes yeah um so well, not horse tranquilizer <laughs> oh no i'm sorry horse well maybe, maybe I, mean, I, would... I might help yeah <laughs> Um, I that is not my official stance, but uh, okay. I mean, Fair yes, uh, <laughs> not, not endorsed by both members of the Overback Jason, podcast. Jason, just, just right, right. You like Donald Trump? Here. Take horse tranquilizer. Yeah, the hey, stance. take a lot of it. Yeah, <laughs> Jason. Man. Yeah, um, I would, I would say. It's I mean, I don't disagree, so. but officially, as, as uh, half of this uh, for for future. Uh, uh, advertisements and, and representation. I do not oh, officially right. endorse yeah. Jason's All right. stance. Way to go. All right, Rich. <laughs> I am a sellout. Yes, that is me. Way to keep the business alive. <laughs> See, so. we would not make a good union because I just threw you right under the bus there. So. <laughs> That's true. You would be a scab. Yeah. <laughs> I would be a scab. That's really sure. sad. Yeah. It's disappointing. Dr. Yeah. Curtis Harris and Rich Crage, the new over and back. <laughs> wow. Yeah, right? yeah, well, that'd be an upgrade. I understand that. So, um, Although I don't know if anyway. I'd, he would probably agree more with you. So I guess. Uh, Fair enough. Anyway, um, 1976, the league, now 18 teams. Uh, you know, there's a, a class action set up with the Players Association. This also goes you know hand-in-hand hand with the merger of the ABA. Um, 
now the, it basically eliminated the option or reserve clause um, in the NBA's player contract, no longer binding a player to one team for life, basically first step toward unrestricted free agency in the NBA. Um, so basically what happened, and this is from 1977 through 1980, the primary part we're going to talk about is teams now had the right of first refusal on any contract offered to their own players. Then if a team chose to let a player walk, the original team was granted compensation. Either it would be a trade between the two teams that they would agree to, or the commissioner would decide it if the teams, if the sides could agree. And a lot of interesting decisions made by the commissioner going on. Uh, after the uh, 1980 season, the rules were changed where it was more like modern restricted free agency where players could offer and could sign an offer sheet with another team and it could either be matched or not. And compensation was no longer automatic. And that lasted until restricted until unrestricted free agency comes in 1988 with the Tom Chambers contract. So, um, yeah, so that is the premise of the show. But before we get into that, we have a, a message from our sponsor. Yes. Attention listeners across the galaxy, all the way from Australia to Houston, Texas. We have a pube problem. Or do we? Do we? We We don't. Because our friends at Manscaped have cleared you for takeoff with their fourth generation and brand new Lawnmower 4.0. Kick your pubes to the next planet with the performance package 4.0 the orbits in your pants will feel like you're in zero gravity when you use the best tools for the job from the leaders in male grooming join the two million men worldwide who trust manscape and get your rocket ready for takeoff i cannot believe i had to say that get your rocket ready for takeoff jason uh by going to manscape.com for 20 percent off plus free shipping with a code fansided 20 again manscape.com 20 percent off plus free shipping with the code FANSIDED20. You want to tell me a little bit about this performance package 4.0? Absolutely. And whether it's your Houston Rocket, it's your Denver Rocket, it's your San Antonio Rocket, are you ready for an out-of-world experience? Look no further than the performance package 4.0 from Manscaped, taking off not only the USA, but Canada, the UK, across Europe, Australia, South Africa, and Singapore. That's crazy. Inside, I mean, we have we have listeners all over the place. We're we're, I know. we're big. We're big in these, especially in the smaller countries that have like you know a thousand people. We're big in those countries. Let me tell we're you, we're huge. Yeah, we are, absolutely. We are undoubtedly the number one NBA history podcast on a lot of uh, very small islands. Corsica, we we kill it in Corsica. I can we absolutely murder in Corsica. We are <laughs> we're huge celebrities in Corsica. So uh, it's wonderful. Yes, and, and inside the package, you're going to find the lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, the weed whacker ear and nose hair trimmer the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, the Crop Reviver Toner, performance boxer briefs, and a travel bag to hold your whole solar system. There you go. So first schedule for liftoff, the new Lawnmower 4.0 uh, trimmer. This spaceship is here to guide you on a journey to trim your body, your balls, your butt, and even Uranus. Uh, this four-generation trimmer also features cutting-edge ceramic blades to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology. Uh, the Lawnmower uh, 4.0 has a 7,000 RPM motor, a new multifunction on-off switch that can engage a travel lock as well. Best of all, it is waterproof. Lastly, the Lawnmower 4.0 has a 4,000K LED spotlight that you can turn on and off when needed for a more precise shave throughout your travels across the universe. The performance package 4.0 also includes the weed whacker. It's like having a little astronaut to chop your worst weeds up top in your nose and ear. 
and the Weed Whacker. It's also waterproof, and it uses a 9,000 RPM motor-powered 360-degree rotary dual-blade system. This nose and ear hair trim provides proprietary skin-safe technology, which helps prevent nicks, snags, and tucks in those delicate holes. Oh, and don't forget. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do not forget to use the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and their Crop Reviver to help your little planets be on their A-game while feeling the sun's heat. Fans can even throw these two free. Absolutely. Fantastic. So abort Harry Balls and Buzz Lightyear, that Woody with Manscaped. Again, 20% off Woo! plus free shipping <laughs> with the code. That is that is you, pretty, n- you nailed that one. <laughs> that yeah. is a lot. Uh, 20% right. off plus free shipping with the code fansided20 at manscaped.com. Again, 20% off plus free shipping with the code fansided20 at manscaped.com. For a clean trinity and beyond, your space balls will thank you. 20% off plus free shipping. Code fansided20 at manscaped.com. That was a ride. (laughs) That was a ride. I'm going to tell you, I think you managed to preserve your dignity through that. So, (laughs) Thank you. There's not much left to preserve, so I'm glad. Well, that's good. It's it's, it's waning every day. Uh, Yeah, I mean, we've been together eight years. So, you know, I understand. You know, it's uh, it's all good. So, um, as we talked about, summer 77, kind of the, uh, you know, the, the first real summer of, you know, any kind of free agency in the NBA. A couple notable ones that happened before then. So, First one is Cassie Russell. Um, you know, it, and again, again, there sort of was sort of kind of free agency with competition did exist, but it hadn't really been tested. You know, part of it is that like teams weren't really sure, like, okay, if I lose a player, what kind of competition am I going to get? And Cassie Russell was kind of the first significant test case. You know, uh, this is 1974 signs with the Lakers. The Warriors did not offer him a no cut contract. He's 30 at this point, but, you know, he's actually still, you know, uh, a, a pretty good player. You know, he's averaging more than 20 points per game. Uh, you know, Golden State was a solid team. They would actually end up being a really good team the year after Cassie left. But um, anyway, the um, it, and then there's an interesting article from when it happens from The New York Times um, where it, it says that it's the first time in the league's history that a player had finished his option year, become a free agent. Um, and then it says, since there is no precedent, it is not known whether the Lakers must compensate Golden State because they signed Russell. So crazy that they don't even know. Eventually, it is determined, yes, they are going to be awarded uh, compensation. They get the Lakers' eventual top pick in the 1976 draft, two years after this, and that pick ends up being Robert Parrish. Not bad. Yeah. Not bad. But, yeah, it's it's such a bizarre thing because there's probably younger listeners that are wondering like why because nowadays a lot of teams are like great cool this free agent left now we have cap space now we can you know play our young players oh we got we just drafted a guy at his position good get him out of here like get that old guy out of here let's you know because in 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 today's league if a 30 year old Cassie Russell wanted to leave most teams would probably say sure go (laughs) yeah we don't want to pay you you're 30 we'll get somebody else we have draft picks all this sort of stuff but in this days it's like well oh my god what are we supposed to we need compensation we lost this player from our team. What are we supposed to do? And it's just so hard to believe because, yeah, it's so different nowadays where, like, a lot of guys are just like, good, go, get out of here. <laughs> like, right. You know, yeah. Great. We, uh, we, if we want you, we want you. We don't want you. Go ahead, man. Just go anywhere. Go do whatever you need to do. So, but, yeah, it's not the case here. It is, it is very much like, okay, well, we lost this player, so we must be compensated by the team that acquired that player from us type thing. It's very strange. But, it is, I, yeah. When, you know, when you have the reserve clause and, and, and technically these players are, quote, unquote, you know, property of you, like, you know, 
that other team has your property now, so you want something back for it. it it's 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 pretty vile when you honestly think about it. Is. it but it's, it's not great. Just like, no, it's just so weird because yeah, to them it's like Golden State's like, well, Cassie Russell is ours. And he could right. never leave. And then he left. So, no, you must give us something for that. It's just, sure. you know, it's just absolutely wild. But, uh, yeah, Robert Parrish, not, not bad compensation. No, I mean, it worked out pretty well. For There's going to the, be, uh, that, yeah. if you want a theme for the show, is that the compensations are, like, really good. <laughs> right. And that yeah. the NBA should, the lower level teams in the NBA should really hold out for compensation uh, for free agent signings moving forward. So, yeah. But, hey, know, maybe it's going to come back. You never know. Yeah. Right? Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> uh, who knows? Maybe. Yes. Um, yeah, our, our second exception, uh, Gail Goodrich. So, um, Goodrich, he, uh, held out in the fall of 1975, missed the first four games while playing out his option to become a free agent the following season, um, was you know, in a pretty bitter contract dispute um, with the Lakers at this point. Lakers said, you know, they, they uh, were known for some, uh, bad contribute. Jerry West also had a similar um, issue with uh, Jack Ken Cook, the uh, Lakers owner, uh, before um, he ended up retiring. Um, and there was this lawsuit with the team. Um, Goodrich eventually comes back. He plays with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who had just been acquired by the Lakers. Uh, team actually missed the playoffs going 40 and 42 in Kareem's first year with the team because they didn't have anybody particularly good other than uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, it turned out. Uh, Goodrich, yeah, I mean, you know, was a good player, but was definitely fading at this point. And then the New Orleans Jazz are like, hey, you know what? Uh, he might be 32 years old. We're going to take a shot at him uh, anyway. So August 6, 1976, uh, the Jazz signed a three-year deal with Goodrich, reportedly worth $1.4 million. Going to team in the backcourt with Pete Maravich. And, um, yeah, well, that, uh, you know, didn't go great. Um you know, Goodrich, unfortunately, ends up hurting his Achilles in his first season, never really quite recovers. Uh, he's out of the league for uh, three years. Uh, you know, so short term, it's not great, although the Jazz end up being pretty good uh, the next year. They do get some other free agents, which we'll talk about in a bit. Uh, unfortunately, uh, a couple things. First, you know, in January 77, Goodrich ended up suing the Lakers, saying that he was shorted 150000 of uh to his $275,000 salary. So more than half of his salary because of fines, because of missing training cap also asked for 75,000 in punitive damages saying that the fines were a breach of contract. Um, and then yes. And, and so you talk about compensation and it, it seems like, uh, and holding out and getting a good compensation. Well, yeah, this is yeah. might be the all timer here. So anyway, right, so, yeah. so Goodrich yeah. signs with the jazz in 1976 and the Lakers are, right. Saying, hey, well, you took Goodrich from us, so we want some compensation. Yeah. Uh, it takes a while to kind of get to the table to figure out what they're going to do. So the Lakers and the Jazz agree eventually to send New Orleans's regular first-round pick from the 1979 draft to Los Angeles, along with first-round picks in 1977 and 1978, and an additional second-round pick. I wonder if you maybe gave them too much. Like, maybe a little bit, yeah. Well, when you find out the names. So anyway, uh, the Jazz are like, look, we're going to be great. We have Gil Goodrich yeah. and Pete Maravich. Take right. all our draft picks. We're sure. not going to need them. Like, we're going to no. be a tremendous team. It's Gil yeah. Goodrich and it's Pete Maravich. Like, this is going to yeah. go great. Um, yeah. The Jazz, unfortunately, finished the 1979 season uh, with the worst record in the NBA. The Lakers are good. Uh, the Lakers are, are, are so they're, pretty good. Yeah, pretty good. They're pretty yeah. good. But anyway, not great. But not great. Good, yeah. But so they're eligible for one of the top two picks in the draft. So if you if you're an astute listener over and back, if you're astute, yeah, you know astute. know yeah. about NBA history, that until yeah, 1985, the top yeah. two teams with the worst records flipped a coin to determine which team would receive the top pick. This right. was the Lakers versus the Chicago Bulls. Who is going to get the top pick? 
coin flip. The Lakers yeah. win a coin flip, and they select little-known point guard out of Michigan State, Irvin Johnson. Who uh, Irvin Johnson, yeah. <laughs> no. Having I, a decent NBA career, I would say, Jason. So, um, yeah, 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 did our, not. This is the all timer. This is the when, when people talk about compensation and the weirdness of it. This, this is the all timer here. Uh, and I guess I could see it from the Jazz's perspective, but I wonder if they maybe just gave a little too much in compensation. You already they, had the guy. You know what I mean? Like you don't have right. to. Well, I, yeah, I, I, I think again, I think the commissioner weighs in on this one, or there's certainly pressure to come to it sure. in a court yeah, yeah, here. Yeah. So yeah, I, so I, I don't think it was. I don't think people were just like take our picks. You uh, know? I mean, it is yeah. the New Orleans Jazz. They were pretty dumb. So that's, yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. I mean, they gave yeah, they gave up they all their picks a for lot of and, and They did. Yeah. So not not great. Yeah. So. By the way, all of our Corsican listeners knew, you know, they they knew we, we were getting yeah, oh, right. They they're know. very astute. Yeah, yeah they, 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 they totally they know. know what they're talking about. So, yeah. yeah, anyway, yeah. Uh, Lakers get Magic Johnson. The uh, right. Jazz get like three years of subpar Gail Goodrich. And yeah, yeah, I think the Lakers won that deal. I, I believe. I think officially made. now in 2021, we can declare that the I think Lakers have won that deal. I think it's yeah. I think it's been enough time. I, I agree. I think you know the, the facts are. I think we're the first to actually you really make that judgment. You have you have to give time. You have to see how you know the the the, the franchises play out and the in the ramifications. Sure. And yeah, I think now we can officially yeah. All these years later, forty years later, declare <laughs> that the, uh, the the, yeah. the Lakers did win that pick. They they may have won it uh, like eight months after that, like literally a year after this right. this thing happened. I think they had already won it when, you know, Magic Johnson's holding up the Larry O'Brien trophy. So we're just a hot take, but I respect it. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. We, that's All what right. we do here. So. All right, cool. So 1977. Um, so yeah, now we're starting, we're going to start to see some player movement. Um, definitely limited, but we're going to see some really key players uh, move along. The first one is Jamal Wilkes. Signing with the Los Angeles Lakers ends up um, the Warriors end up getting Purvis Short, uh, 1978 first round pick that ends up being Purvis Short and Cash going to the Warriors. So, I mean, the Warriors, like, like Wilkes had only been in the league for three years. Um, they'd won the championship in 75, they were still competitive in 77. Um, yeah, but that would not last long. Unfortunately, the Warriors would not make the playoffs for for uh, ten years after uh, losing uh, Wilkes until uh, eighty seven. Purvis Short, uh, I believe, still on the team at that point. So they did, you know, Purvis Short, not too bad. So they did, uh, they did manage to get you know something out of, out of that. But yeah, you probably would rather have Jamal Wilkes than uh, Purvis Short um, overall. And yeah, I mean, Wilkes ends up you know coming to Lakers. Um, they've managed to collect some talent. You know, they they've got Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, of course. They've managed to get Adrian Dantley. Uh, James Edwards, a coach by Jerry West. So solid team, 77 uh, season. They'd actually, uh, you know, they had the best record in the league. They ended up losing the playoffs to the Blazers, but, you know, they, they were a really good team. Seemed like they could be a championship contender. You know, the, things don't necessarily go super great for the Lakers, although they're they're still fairly good. Uh, but as you mentioned, you know, they got some draft picks coming in and, you know, hey, things end up going pretty well. They get Magic Johnson and, and things go well. But, you know, Wilkes really – maybe a little bit of an underrated um, factor in, you know, those championship teams. Yeah, no, he, he I mean, in that 19, you know, 80 season, Wilkes is the second leading scorer on the team. I mean, he trails right. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar by only 4.8 points. And, and it's right. like, you know, we're not talking prime, prime Kareem, but we're talking a pretty goddamn good Kareem at this time and right. a really good team. Like we said, there's a lot of decent players on this and, you know, you know that Magic gets all the love for that historic Game Six, and 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 rightfully so. That the 1980 Game Six, Kareem is injured, Magic steps in, he he takes the opening tip off, and then he has an incredible game. 
quote at center. I mean, whatever. We don't have to get right, into all right, that right now. Yeah, but right. regardless, all you need to know, yes, he took the tip at center. Yes, he played. It doesn't matter. He had 42 points and 15 rebounds, and they won the championship. It was good. Yeah. But show some love to Jamal Wilkes here. And, and this is actually a quote from Magic Johnson as well. He says, Jamal Wilkes had an unbelievable game. Everybody talked about my 42, but it was also his 34 or 37-point effort that helped us win that title. So, yeah, he, he plays a huge role in that. So, yeah, you, you, you don't have – you don't have Kareem at his best. Yeah, Magic Johnson stepping up in his rookie year, but yeah, you have you know you have, you have Jamal Wilkes, who's been on championship teams before right. with Golden State, stepping up here and being a huge part of this. And and yeah, I think unfortunately, I and I don't know the reason why. I think maybe because more people identify with like the mid '80s Lakers uh, sure. as opposed to, and he's on those teams too, but he's not as an important part of them. But like, yeah, he just doesn't. I, for whatever reason, when I hear the name Jamal Wilkes or when people talk about that era of Lakers. I, I don't know. You just don't hear his name all that much, but he's a very good player for a sure. lot of those teams, and especially in this 1980 season when he's still at his peak powers. He's so good on his team. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he, 37 points, 10 rebounds in that game, too. Yeah, that's um, pretty and good. Yeah and, <laughs> yeah, and he's definitely, you know, through 82, 83, he's, you know, he's, a, he's still a, a, an excellent player. You know, kind of takes a step down as he gets into his early 30s, and they obviously have James Worthy and other guys to kind of step in and um, sort of fill his role a bit. But yeah, he absolutely, you know, he'd win two more titles with the Lakers, make a bunch of finals. Actually, was inducted in the Naismith Hall of Fame in 2012. So mm-hmm. obviously a a great career. But as yeah, as you said, kind of I think because um, the era that he was at his best, not as much video, not as much attention on the league. Certainly um, doesn't quite get to the. Um, the do there, but yeah, when people think player. like '80s, you know, Lakers versus Celtics, it's it's the worthy Kareem Magic. It's it's you know, it's that team, right? Right? Not, right. not yeah. necessarily this team. And he's on that, you know, he's on one, a few of those teams, or at least yeah. one of those teams. But I think '85, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But it's just not. He, he's just never, yeah, for whatever reason, he's never considered a part of that that dynasty. Uh, maybe the way that he should be. Uh, at least, yeah, not a key guy. As right, much, right, yeah, right. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, so also 77, the New Orleans Jazz, a lot of Jazz and Lakers here uh, so far. Uh, the Jazz made a good decision by uh, signing Truck Robinson as a veteran free agent, sending uh, Ron Behagen and Cash to the Atlanta Hawks as uh, compensation. So Robinson had only been in the league for four years. He spent two and a half years with the Bullets. Um, 77, he kind of broke out. He spent half the season with the bullets and then half the season with the Hawks with the Hawks. He'd averaged 22 points and 12 point rebounds. So already stood out, but, uh, you know, the jazz, uh, apparently they wanted, um, Trek more certainly, um, uh, you know, they, um, you know, they, they were spent a lot of money trying to get a good team in, uh, New Orleans and yeah, 78 ended up, you know, being their best team, um, and, you know, Truck had kind of one of the great out of nowhere seasons ever. You know, first team all NBA uh, in 78. Uh, I think he was one of the first non centers to lead the league in rebounding 15.7 boards per game. Yeah, he's like 6'7, uh, by the way, too. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. Kind of like, yeah, kinda like, kinda like Charles Barkley size, yeah. basically. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, and yeah, averages 22.7 points per game. Um, you know, makes his first um, all star appearance, as we mentioned on the all NBA first team. Uh, the Jazz barely missed the playoffs, 39 and 43. They're coached by Elgin Baylor. You know, it was kind of their their best chance to kind of stick it out in, in New Orleans. You know, Maravich is kind of at his peak before injuries. I, I think Goodrich does, like, he has, I think, his best season, um, you know, with the Jazz in 78. You know, obviously he was fading, but he still was a bit of a contributor to um, that team. And, uh, yeah, then, you know, he stays with it. It's a short-term stint as, um, you know, as uh, – 
the injuries pile up for Maravich. Um, and I think that you know, there was some tension between Truck and uh, Maravich uh, in 79. You know, he for, first 43 games, he you know, pretty much puts up very similar numbers. But uh, the Jazz are slumping. They're on their way to only 26 uh, win season and they're going to soon to depart Norland. So, you know, all that uh, all that money they're paying for Truck Robinson and Gail Goodrich, probably not the uh, best idea. So they ended up uh, shopping him for, to the Suns uh, for two first rounders. Yeah, it doesn't, uh, doesn't go very uh, very well for no. them. So they get Marty Burns, Ron Lee, uh, 1979 first-round pick Larry Knight. Um, yeah, not great. And the 1980 first-round pick John Duran. So yeah, uh, no. not not great. And Truck, you know, he would he would have a few more pretty productive years. I mean, he would make an all-star team in 1981 with the Suns. And obviously he'd have that run with, like, the, the, the you know, the 80s Knicks, the 83 to 85 with the Knicks. And, and then his career is going to be done. But, uh, yeah, this uh, – an all-time great year here, here with, with the Jazz. And it's like right. – this is one of the, like you said, one of the rare chances where – or one of the rare times where the Jazz went out there, made it – took a big risk, swung for the fences, and it worked out great. And then it's just, you know, it, it didn't work out good enough to get them uh, into the playoffs. And then it all kind of came crashing down for the franchise, which had, you know, multitudes of issues at this point too. So, yeah, right. you, you do wonder how things would have maybe gone a little bit different had they just hung out with – you know, hung on to him for a little bit longer or whatever. But, uh, no, he still has some pretty good years with, with, with the Suns. And, uh, yeah, ended up having a pretty – a pretty damn good NBA career for a second round pick, and and he is a guy who always was regarded uh, as as one of the better all time second round picks. You, you know now Draymond Green and a few other guys have have probably passed sure. him up uh, at this point, but for a long time, uh, Truck really really stood out as as an all time great second rounder. Absolutely, yeah. And um, yeah, probably the best free agent signing of this first year, Washington Bullets signing Bob Dandridge, the um, the Milwaukee Bucks a stalwart, you know, kind of the last member of that, um, you know, of the old championship team with with Kareem, the you know seventy one title and seventy four finals. You know, as the Bucks are you know moving on to a new era, all they get is cash though. They don't get any picks uh, out of that, which is I guess kind of a surprise. I mean, the Edwards were still um, you know really good, uh, productive player. Um, sort of interesting that um, there were no picks involved uh, for that. I mean, the average twenty point eight points per game the uh, season before. So. Um, Yes, but yeah, the, the um, you know they, the the Bucks, you know, again they had a youth movement. They uh, they bounced back pretty good, so they, they were definitely an okay team. Um, they never really quite you know bottomed out, but um, again didn't really need uh, Dandridge at this point. Um, you know, and the Bullets, you know, they they'd been there for a while. You know, they obviously you know they have Elvin Hayes, um, they have Wes Unseld. You know, they make the seventy five finals, but they're upset. Uh, U76, they are upset by the Cavs. But, you know, they're consistently, you know, a 50-plus win team, a team that seems like it could be, a, a, you know, a championship-level team. But, you know, they they struggle to get over the hump. U77, they had won 48 games, but then they end up being upset by the Rockets in the Eastern Conference. The semifinals, yes, at that point, the Houston Rockets were uh, in the East. Um, and, yeah, so they decide, hey, we're going to, you know, we're going to get Bob Dennis. He's, you know, been a big game player in the in the past he's a great defender uh he just kind of gives a, a really good score just kind of gives them something that they needed you know and um they end up kind of struggling in the regular season because of injuries but they end up uh making and winning the nba finals defeating the sonics in uh seven games uh and then dandridge you know um you know he he fits in great you know he's his 19.3 points per game, second best of the team, uh, average 21.2 in the playoffs and 20.4 in the NBA finals, 
does not win the finals MVP, although a lot of people think that he definitely mm -hmm. um, could have uh, done so. Uh, stays with Washington for a couple more years, including the 1975 uh, finals loss, and then ends up uh, finishing his career with a, a brief stint in um, in Milwaukee to wrap things up. And he's also recently inducted into the Hall of Fame yes, uh, in 2021. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, definitely one of the uh, great omissions uh, from that. So, great to see him in the Hall of Fame. They must have listened to our uh, complaining about it over they the years. Have. There's still yeah. a few more left to go, but hey, you know, they've, they've listened and, and, and we're, we're getting there. So, we'll take it. Yeah, absolutely. So, do, I know, Rich, that you are the world's biggest Jim Clemens fan. So, I think you want to talk about <laughs> yes. the next one. Let's yeah. talk about the guy who's definitely the most important part of this. Uh, next signing, which is Jim right. Clemens. Uh, so sure. this is in 1977, obviously in October of 1997, the New York Knicks signed Jim Clemens as a veteran free agent, and they decide, all right, we need to send the Cleveland Cavaliers something. These guys want something. All right, right. Uh, I don't know, Walt Frazier. <laughs> Here you go. And what? Right, up. right, yeah. <laughs> and we did this earlier in the year. We watched one of these old Cleveland Cavaliers games where Walt Frazier. It was it was our uh, our holiday episode, I believe, this year. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and the sight of Walt Frazier in a Cavs uniform is horrific. It just. And I'm not even from New York. Like I don't care about no. the Knicks. I couldn't right. possibly care less about the Knicks. But it is horrific to see Walt Frazier in a Cavs uniform. I hate it so much. Um, I don't know why they did this. It's so weird. So there, we, we found some quotes actually from the New York Times. Uh, Walt Frazier says, I was traded to Cleveland. It was like getting traded to Siberia. There was one reporter. On the weekend, there was no reporter. <laughs> so very different from uh, what uh, Walt Frazier was used to uh, in, in New York. And, and this is from the New York Times article reacting to it. It says, the Knicks are expected to announce today that they are sending the 32-year-old Frazier, a guard who was once the high priest of Madison Square Garden basketball, for, uh, uh, to the Cleveland Cavaliers as compensation for the impending signing of Jim Clemens, a 28-year-old playmaker. Uh, the six-foot-three Clemens, a free agent, played for the Cavaliers the last five seasons. Uh, uh, as further part of the transaction, the Knicks will pay part of Frazier's salary of more than $400,000 a year. His contract has three seasons to run. So, uh, obviously, the Knicks have fallen on some hardest times. They'd missed the last two playoffs, and 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 Frazier was was falling out of favor, uh, you know, in the Knicks land as well. Uh, he had no longer been the team captain. Earl Monroe took his place. Uh, Willis Reed had replaced Red Holzman as the Knicks coach, and. Uh, this, again, from the New York Times, quote, he is trying to restore some semblance of team play on a squad of superstars who played too much one-on-one. -on -one. Instead of Frazier's dribbling the ball up court slowly, Reed wants the Knicks to run consistently. He wants a playmaker who will direct the team and play and run more. Frazier did not fit into these plans. So, um, yeah, things are not going great for all Frazier, uh, the Knicks, and Willis Reed and all that sort of stuff. So he is sent... Uh, to Cleveland, they're bringing in 6'3", playmaker, 28-year-old Jim Clemens. He averages 6.5 points per game in his first year yeah. in New York. They, hey, they, they did now. They went from 6th in the league in pace to 3rd in the league in pace. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> right, they really right. stepped it up. Yeah, yeah. they did. <laughs> so they, and they did return to the playoffs. So, That's true. you know, throw yeah. some roses to Jim Clemens. Sure, yes. Yeah. Bob McAdoo was really good. Sure, yes. And, Earl Monroe They beat the Cavs also, in the playoffs, too. Yeah, exactly. So, so a little bit right. of a revenge series. So there you sure. go. And then yeah. Jim Clemens says, screw the haters. He has 9.5 points per game his second year. Oh, wow. And yeah. you can imagine if he got better, you know the Knicks got better. Uh, actually, they won 31 games. Right. Uh, no. Willis Reed was yeah. fired. Red Holzman was brought back in. And then uh, Jim Clemens, 22 games in the 1980 season, was sent back to the Washington, or was sent to the Washington Bullets. And then 
Can't wait. We're gonna, this is not, if you think this is the only time we're going to talk about Frank Brickowski on this show, uh, maybe not. Yeah. Maybe not. Yeah. But uh, December 4th, 1979, uh, the Knicks trade Jim Clemens to the Washington Bullets for a 1981 third-round pick. And that third-round pick ends up becoming Frank Brickowski, who, again, you never know. We might talk about Frank Brickowski later. You never know. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a huge uh, a huge time for uh for everybody, you know, it was a wonderful, it was the, the era of brick house and a brick house. <laughs> right, you know? right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Every, every car was driving by playing brick house. Everybody was thinking yeah. of uh, Frank Brickhouse. Frank Brickowski, so, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I believe I wasn't alive. So I'll just have to take yeah. your word for it, but uh, yeah, it's, it's <laughs> I was definitely, I was alive and very, I was a very uh, knowledgeable two-year-old about the world at that point. So absolutely. So yes. Um, more 1977. It, it's a hot, um, it's hot off season. So, uh, in October, the Seattle Supersonics sign Gus Williams as a veteran free agent, sent cash to the Warriors' competition. So um, Williams, he'd spent two years with the Warriors, actually joined the, the defending champion as a rookie in 76, played his way in, in a key role. You know, was fifth in the team in minutes, fourth in scoring. So, you know, he wasn't, like you know, like obviously not one of the absolute most key players, but he was definitely an important part of that role. You know, they win 59 games, which is the league best. But they fell apart in the 76 players, lost to the underdog Suns in the conference finals. Um, and then, you know, his last season in Golden State, they have, you know, they have Rick Barry still. Older, but, you know, still still great. They have Jamal Wilkes, you know, as a future Laker. And they've got rookie Robert Parrish, as well as, you know, Phil Smith, who'd been All-NBA, and Gus Williams be a future All-NBA, only finished with 46 wins. You know, the chemistry – not great there, you know, uh, the ownership situation, not great. Um, and Hey, you know, the, uh, the Warriors don't want to, uh, pay Gus Williams enough despite, you know, being talented and, um, the federal judge, Robert L. Carter, Carter who actually had jurisdiction in all contract disputes uh, as a part of the Oscar Robertson settlement, which is funny. One judge, you know, was had that you know, in that case. It's it's really. Was he like, oh, the uh, NBA case. I want that one. He was like, oh, right, man, yeah, I guess. He's like, oh, yeah. He's they're splitting it, them yeah. up. They're like, all right, we got this murder, we got this. He's like, oh, I want the yeah. NBA like, contract dispute. Yeah. yeah, that's me. Yeah, so so good. And he signs with the Sonics for one hundred and seventy thousand dollars per year. Oh, the, the Sonics, yeah, rich man. Hundred. What is he going to do with one hundred and seventy thousand dollars? I, I don't know. Yeah. So. um and then, yeah, he is part of the, of course, the backcourt with Dennis Johnson. They've got Jack Sigma, helps lead the Sonics to a surprise finals appearance in 1978 and then an NBA title in 1979. Uh, you know, things are looking good. And we're going to jump ahead here, but it, it's, uh, you know, related to the situation. So I, I think it's worth um, getting into now. Um, after the Sonics fell to the Lakers in the 1980 playoffs, Williams has another more infamous contract dispute that leads him to sit out the entire 1981 season. So uh, the Sonics, you know, two years ago are the championship. Now, you know, they've gotten rid of uh, Dennis Johnson. They traded him for Paul Westfall, but unfortunately Paul Westfall uh, gets hurt, misses a lot of the season with injury. Lonnie Shelton, another one of their key players from the 79 title team, uh, I think only plays 14 games that year. So, you know, they, they just, they're, they're snake bitten. They only win 34 games that year. Um, and then what I I had not read until um, you know there was an article um, from Sports Illustrated in uh, February of eighty one uh, talking about this. He actually nearly signed a one year deal deal under his old terms in December of eighty. Uh, even even flew to Portland with the expectation that he would sign the deal and then he would play that night. 
But then, you know, looking over the contract, there was a dispute over whether the Sonics would be entitled to compensation once Williams became a free agent, prevented it from signing. You know, this is right at the time that compensation is no longer going to be automatic, but because of the idea of whether he'd be tied to the old contract or a new one, you know, they ends up not doing it. Anyway, all All's well that ends well. He finally returns the Sonics in the 81 offseason, signs a five-year deal worth 600000 um, leads him to a 52-win season and a first-team All-NBA appearance and a Comeback Player of the Year award, win, which is one of the rare ones that was not drug-related. So, uh, <laughs> you know, um, so good times there. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's, yeah, that's so, we, we said, you know, not super eventful, but that, there's some pretty eventful stuff in the 1977 thing. So, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's yeah, people one. trying to figure out the, the landscape here, trying to figure out what's going on. And, uh, yeah, that's going to continue for the next few seasons here. Uh, absolutely will. Yes. Um, 1978, we, you know, not quite as big, but, you know, some interesting names here. Uh, we've got Alex English. Signs with the Indiana Pacers. Yes, he played and signed with the Indiana Pacers as a veteran free agent. Uh, and the uh, the Pacers sent the Milwaukee Bucks, who English played for before. Um, a first-round pick that later ended up being Calvin Nett to the Milwaukee Bucks. So English, pretty little used in his first two seasons at Milwaukee, averaging 9.6 points per game in about 19 minutes per game. So uh, per minute, <laughs> scored a lot, but didn't play a whole lot. He did, however, have a pretty strong run in the 78 um, playoffs, uh, led the league in field goal percentage in the playoffs at 615. The Bucks uh, ended up... Uh, taking the favored Nuggets in the second round to seven games. So, you know, the book's kind of um, recovering from, uh, you know, the Kareem Jujabar trade and, you know, hoarding draft picks and getting some young players. And, hey, they, they bounce back. They got Don Nelson as their coach. Things are looking up for them. Um, however, you know, English not happy with his role there. There's a lot of depth with uh, young depth there. And the Pacers are like, you know what, we're just going to we're going to take him and we're going to see what we can do. And he plays reasonably well there. He averages yeah. 15.6 points per game, 135 games over two seasons. So not the quite the stalwart scorer that he would be, but definitely, you know, um, showed some talent. But the Pacers, uh, you know, they had a habit, especially the late 70s, of constantly trading away and bringing back players and having a lot of uh, short stints for guys. Um, you know, they... they um, Billy Knight, you know, they they train, they bring back. They have Adrian Dantley for a short time. Yeah, they have John Williamson for a short time. Just a, a bunch of weary of James Edwards. They they have a lot of guys who end up, like, having pretty good careers, but they only stay in Milwaukee for a long time. And they see a chance to bring back George McGinnis. So George McGinnis, he'd, he'd been an MVP in Indiana for the ABA. He'd been one of the great players, uh, you know, in their history. Still only 29. He'd been an all-star the previous season. Some slippage was obvious, but the amount of slippage probably not so obvious. Uh, so they bring him back home from Denver. They, they give up um, English uh, and a first rounder to do so. Unfortunately, McGinnis, not much left in the tank. And English ends up, you know, famously with the most points of any player during the 1980s for the uh, Denver Nuggets. So kind of a blip in history, but just sort of an interesting name there and kind of interesting story. Absolutely. Yeah, let's uh, let's go to the next one here. This is uh, in 1978 as well. The Atlanta Hawks signed Dan Runfield. Don Runfield in uh, as a veteran free agent and send 1979 first round pick Dudley Bradley, which is a great name, Dudley Bradley, uh, to yeah. the Indiana Pacers as compensation. Yes. Uh, and Runfield had evolved into a, a pretty solid double double threat uh, over three seasons with the Pacers. Uh, but as you mentioned, the franchise many times strapped for cash, uh, could not afford the price the Hawks were willing to pay, and said, "There you go, 
you can have him. And uh, yeah, he's a name that a lot of people don't know or don't remember all that much, but had a pretty underrated career uh, with the Hawks. Sixth season, he was five times all uh, defensive, three time all star, uh, as well as 17.6 points per game, 10.7 rebounds per game, uh, and 1.6 uh, blocks per game. And uh, uh, you have a fun little story here from uh, somebody we've talked to on the show before about something, you know, what could have happened, some dominoes falling uh, in, in, in the case of Ronfield. Ron right. Yeah, Mark Bonte, you know, he reported in an uh, article at NBA.com. Basically, if the Pacers had somehow been able to keep Roundfield, you know, at a price that they would have been able to afford, I, you know, as we, as we said, they, they really were strapped for cash in the late um, 70s. You know, famously had that telethon to try to save the team and, you know, uh, ended up, you know, uh, nearly selling out to a team from Sacramento before the Simons stepped in and kept the team there. But, yeah, they, they likely would have picked Larry Bird in the 1978 draft. So, um, it, but because they lost round field, they felt like they needed to bring somebody who could play right away. And then, you know, ended up not um, really working out. You know, obviously, yeah, they didn't, they didn't sign Larry Bird and they ended up drafting um, Rick Roby. And, <laughs> so I would say it's safe to say right. it did not work and, out. Yeah. And getting Johnny Davis, you know, yeah. So you probably would rather have Larry Bird in that. You probably want to wait. A I year think for so. Larry yeah. Bird, but yeah. 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 So yeah, the, the the quote is yeah they they uh, Slick Leonard he wanted to he wanted to get Bird and then wait a year, figuring that yeah they we would get it they would get a whole lot of ticket orders you know from you know throughout the state you know Bird was already you know an Indiana legend. Um, and, you know, the, the team's ownership and executive board, they wanted to try to get a name player. Um, and, yeah, basically, you know, Leonard said, if we'd been able to keep Brownfield, then we would have had the luxury of waiting on Burdick's. We had a player who, you know, would have kept the team afloat and, you know, was a good enough deer. And, you know, obviously people did not know what Larry Bird was going to become. I mean, they, they knew he was talented, but obviously, you know, they had no foresight to realize. You know, there was questions about whether he was going to be athletic enough in the NBA, whether he would translate well, you know, all those things. But that were reasonable questions, yeah. you know, so – yeah, but it's uh, interesting. Um, it's certainly interesting. Yeah, definitely, definitely. All right, let's talk about yeah. one of our favorite guys. Do it, Jason. Absolutely, Rick Barry. Yeah. Yes, the Houston Rockets. You know, they uh, uh, decide to. Uh, you know, I mean, you know, obviously, as we as we said, Rockets for your prick. The Rockets decide to sign. You know, the, the notorious NBA prick, Rick Barry. Yes, <laughs> right. uh, noted NBA penis, Rick Barry. Right. Yes. yes. Right. So um, our friends at Manscaped would appreciate that. Of course, yes. yes. Fansided 20. Uh, Fansided 20. 20% plus free shipping. Absolutely. Um, yes. So, uh, you know, things, as we mentioned, you know, kind of not going well in Golden State. The Rick Barry decides to move on, go into the Rockets. Uh, the Rockets end up sending John Lucas, who was the uh, number one for, number one pick overall, picked just a couple of seasons before, going to the Warriors. And, yeah, very 34 at the time, still effective, uh, he had spent eight years and two separate sets with the Warriors, leading them to the 1975 NBA title, of course. Uh, there's a New York Times um, article uh, from that time um, talking about a press conference attended by Barry and his attorneys who'd flown into Houston earlier that day. Uh, Barry said, I look forward to working with the Rockets, and I've always been impressed with the awesome offensive potential of the team. I will do whatever Coach Tom Nisaki wants me to do, even come off the bench uh, Nisaki said it was asked if he had planned to use Barry uh, as substitute. He laughed and said, no way. Um, and basically Barry said, Hey, this was, you know, has been good to me, but it's a business decision. Um, you know, Houston showed the most interest in him. He wanted to be a team that would be competitive, could win a championship and wanted to go to an area where he would enjoy living, which fairly practical. And, you know, 
they, it seemed like on paper, like a pretty good team. Like they got Moses Malone, who, um, you know, had just been the MVP in 78, or excuse me, he had not been the MVP in 78, but he had clearly established himself as one of the great big men in the league and would win the MVP in 79. Uh, and, you know, they've got Rui Tomjanovich, of course, he's returning from um, the injury after, you know, the the fight with current Washington. They still got Calvin Murphy, who's good. They got Billy Paul, who's a solid center. They got a couple of decent young players and Robert Reed and Allen Level. Never quite took off in Barry's two years there. Um, you know, and then of course they do make the finals of the year after Barry leaves, despite you know, being a 40 and 42 team in 1981. Uh, Lucas, in the meantime, you know, he'd been number one overall pick, as we mentioned, but it only averaged 12.7 points per game and 8.1 assists per game in two seasons there. But he did help the Rockets to what ended up being a, a you know, a surprise Eastern Conference finals appearance in 1977. Houston really fell off the next season. You know, obviously they lost Rui Tomjanovich um, because of the injury, because of the fight, and Moses Malone had only played about half the season. So definitely part of that. Um, Lucas, you know, had many ups and downs in his career, eventually overcoming a drug addiction, running a substance abuse recovery program, spent a lot of time coaching. Um, And, um, you know, there's an article uh, that Lucas talked about the trade. Um, He said – we all knew the Rockets were going to have to give up something good, real good. The fact is they wanted either me or Moses Malone. And I didn't like the idea that some people thought Moses were better, though he clearly was. And uh, Lucas said, well, he didn't really blame you know the commissioner, Larry O'Brien, for the move to the West Coast for his problem. He said, I was already headed for disaster, but just speeded the process up. Of course, you know, uh, Golden State known for really being a, a, a bad place for you know players that had drug addiction. You know there were notorious hotels in the area and just you know just a not a great culture there. Obviously, so yeah, Bay Area not for, a great place yeah. to, uh, <laughs> to right to stay off of drugs. So yeah. exactly, yes, yes, unfortunately. So yeah, um, yeah so that is uh, so that's that. What do we got next? Uh, no, you know, we get a little less exciting here uh, in, uh, yeah. in 1978 as well. The New York Knicks trade Lonnie Shelton. And a 1979 first-round pick, eventually Vinny Johnson, two of the Seattle Supersonics uh, for a 1981 first-round pick. Steve Johnson, a lot of Johnsons. Uh, and, yeah. Yes, <laughs> Manscaped again. We had, yes, we had, yeah, we had dicks go. like Rick Barry. And we had you know, Manscaped dicks. We Johnson, we got yeah. Johnsons. Uh, this yeah. exchange, this is the the most, yeah, wow, geez. Uh, this exchange was arranged as compensation for New York signing veteran free agent Marvin Webster on September 29, 1978. Seattle later gave the 1981 pick back to the Knicks. That's yeah. incredible. I think, so. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, they were forced to, but yes. So, right, right. I like the idea uh, that they're like, ah, oh, here you go. We don't. We yeah, don't here you go. We don't need it. We, yeah, we, we, we thought we needed it. We don't actually need it. You guys can have it. It's fine. Yeah. So we really, we yeah, we we have enough. We're good. We have enough right. picks. Yeah. Take it back, please. Really nice. Really nice with them. Yeah. We rewrapped yeah. it. It's like here. Take it. Just have it. So. Uh, known as the Human Eraser, an incredible name. Uh, Webster was the number three overall pick in the 1975 NBA draft. Uh, but if you remember his name, and yeah, along with him and number one overall pick David Thompson, they said, screw this. And they went to the ABA. They went to the Denver Nuggets in the ABA. Uh, he was diagnosed with a form of hepatitis. Uh, he unfortunately played only 38 games as a rookie, averaged just 4.3 points per game and 4.6 rebounds per game. Uh, finally, after a healthier season in Denver, he, uh, him and Paul Silas were sent to the Sonics, where Webster did finally break out 14 points per game, 12.6 uh, rebounds per game, and two blocks per game uh, for the team that made it to the NBA Finals. Uh, and then, yeah, obviously, his team, you know, they lost narrowly in that game seven, but he played a great game 27 points, 19 rebounds, four blocks. Uh, and as we mentioned in a prior episode, almost single-handedly making up for Dennis Johnson's over 14 performance. That did not help anybody. Another Johnson here, if you're, if yeah, you're keeping uh, track. Johnson. So, yeah, right. Uh, Webster had another double-double season in 1979, uh, but he had additional health, se- uh, uh, health issues. And in 1980, 
Um, he had a consecutive game streak of 333 games uh, with the Knicks before finally uh, retiring after that. But uh, then, anyway, so guys kind of move around a little bit here. But uh, uh, Lonnie Shelton ended up uh, being a better fit for uh, the Sonics than, than Webster really was. So uh, he adapted very quickly to the Sonics. He teamed with Jack Sikma and John Johnson. Uh, uh, Johnson. Yeah, Jesus, <laughs> a lot of Johnsons here. With yeah. uh, Gus Williams and Dennis Johnson in the backcourt, uh, Seattle finishes 52. and th- This is why we talked about it in the other episode. That one announcer right. just called everybody VJ and SJ and, G- right. yeah. and DJ because he was like, there's too many Johnsons. What do you there, want me to do? There were three Johnsons. Yeah, there was so team. many. Yeah. Jeez, right. Seattle. Get yeah. your head out of the gutter here. Uh, but right. anyway, uh, Seattle finishes 52-30 and 30 in the regular season, then outlast the Suns in a rugged seven-game series in the Western Conference Finals. Uh, and then they get an NBA title win over the Washington uh, Bullets in five games. And so, yeah, a lot of things, you know, the Sonics, they love the season in fewest points allowed and lowest field goal percentages allowed. And a lot of that is due to Shelton. He was a great defender. Uh, Jack Sikma said the main thing is Lonnie was a big physical uh, physical presence, and we always had one of the best defenses in the league, and we were one of the best rebounding teams in the league, and he was a perfect fit. Uh, just put it this way, nobody wanted to mess with Lonnie. I had my best rebounding years when I was side-by-side side with Lonnie, and the big key was his man was always boxed out. Lonnie had a body on him, and there was a lot of room to go get balls. Gee, man, <laughs> this is a very, very, and a lot of this credit to Lonnie and his ability to dominate his man. So, yeah, it was Dominate, pretty good. yeah, well, domination, yeah. A lot of, uh, Yes. Yeah. No, I, I think that's, um, yeah, it's really interesting how that worked out. And, um, unfortunately Marvin Webster and Lionel Shelton both, uh, passed away tragically early, uh, you know, it, as they were it, at a very young age uh, for both of them, you know, in their late fifties, early sixties. So, um, another sad thing that they, um, have in common, but, uh, yeah, it, it was interesting. What, I mean, it was, it ended up being more, ended up probably, it seemed really important at the time and then ended up, you know, because of Webster, um, you know, not really, you know, having the longevity and ended up, um, you know, the health issues kind of derailed his career, um, you know, didn't end up, you know, becoming a star that he kind of potentially seemed like he would be. But after, you know, that, that season with Seattle and after, you know, helping lead them to the finals, that was definitely, I think, the expectation of the time. So, um, but yeah, that is interesting how that worked out. So, I think we're going to move into 1979, my yeah. birth year. Yeah. So, um, exciting times. Uh, the first one, you might have heard about this. Uh, the San Diego Clippers sign Bill Walton uh, as a veteran free agent. And Kevin Kuhnert, Kermit Washington, and a 1980 first-round pick that ends up being Mike Kaminsky um, go to the Portland Trailblazers. So, uh, yeah, there's a whole book about this. So, uh, you know, we don't need to get into, I think, every nook and cranny about this, but Obviously, Walton, you know, one of the best, certainly in some respects, you know, controversial athlete of his day for you know his political beliefs and his dress and all that. Uh, but he had led the Trailblazers to the 1977 title, won the 1978 MVP, a foot injury in that playoffs, preventing the Blazers from having a chance to repeat. Um, missed the 1979 season entirely with that same injury and accused the Blazers medical staff of mishandling that injury, basically ending um, his interest in being there. So uh, he has the chance to jump ship to his new hometown team. They had just moved, uh, well, from, from Buffalo, you know, and then they famously, the, there had been the exchange of a franchises between, uh, you know, the, the Celtics and the, um, 
and the Braves, you know, where a lot of the old Celtics end up going to the end up going to the Braves and then moving across to um, San Diego. Now, this is actually the second year they would have been in San Diego. They'd actually been a solid team already. Uh, so feeling like, oh, yeah, they're already been a solid team, won about 40 games and they're going to get a chance to get Bill Walton. Well, unfortunately, it does not go well in the court. Uh, Walton only appears in just 14 games his first season. And then misses the entirely the following two seasons because of multiple surgeries on his foot. Um, he does return in the 83 season, plays 88 games over the next two seasons, which were the Clippers last in, um, in San Diego. And then they end up moving to Los Angeles in 1984. Walton plays one year there before uh, being traded to the Boston Celtics. Um, and then, you know, things of course go well in Boston he, in 85, 86, he you know, plays basically the entire season named sixth man of the year, and they win the championship, one of the great uh, teams of all time. And uh, there is an article uh, from ESPN.com about um, you know Bill Walton talking about, you know, blaming himself for the Clippers 1984 departure from San Diego. He called it, his quote is, it's my greatest failure as a professional in my entire life. I could not get the job done in my hometown. It is a stain and stigma on my soul that is indelible. I'll never be able to wash that off, and I carry it with me forever. I mean, yeah, does hey, he? <laughs> I mean, maybe I mean, he does. I mean, it's yeah. it's, it's yeah. his quote, so I can't say what's going on in his mind. But I don't it's know. I feel like he had a pretty good yeah. life otherwise. But yeah. uh, well, you know, you know, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe. All right, maybe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, you know, that's uh, who are we to argue? It would have been cool to to have him be awesome for a team in San Diego. That would have been awesome, but uh, unfortunately, yeah. Well, Donald's really him, yeah, oh, whatever. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's better. What can you do? Yeah. Uh, no, yeah. It didn't. We had 20 more years of his, or 30 more years of his terrible, terrible. Anyway, yeah, that would have been fun, but uh, yeah, did not end up happening. Let's move on next uh, here. 1979 again. The Washington Bullets signed Kevin Porter as a veteran free agent uh, and sent a 1980 first-round pick, Ricky Brown, on a 1982 first-round pick, which eventually gave John Bagley to the Detroit Pistons as uh, compensation. Um. Yeah, the Kevin Porter stuff. I mean, we we we've on this show we have tried to let people know that Kevin Porter was like a thing. Yeah, he was sure. a really really good player for a lot of different teams. The problem was he never had one home base. He bounced around a bunch of times. It never really felt like. Yeah, I don't know. He was overshadowed by a lot of other players in the league. He wasn't a prolific scorer, but he was one of the great passers of his day. I mean, he led the NBA four different times in, in, in assists per game, and they were in different times. They were in 1975, 1978 with two different teams, 1979, and then again in 1981. I mean, it's like it wasn't like one run that he had with one team where it was like, oh, he, this is the perfect situation for Kevin Porter. Like, this is on multiple teams that, that he did this on. This is on the Bullets. This is on the Pistons and the Nets. This is on Detroit. This is on the Bullets again because he would go there twice. But anyway, yeah, it's 1979, and, and yeah, he had you know led the league in, in assists per game four different times uh, he also held a single game for uh, a single game record for assists uh 29 for uh, for uh, 12 seasons until uh, scott skiles uh, uh finally beat him out for it he also had nine games of 20 or more assists uh more than anyone except for john stockton who had 13 and he had a bit of a kind of an odd pass so he started his career with three years with the bullets then he was traded to the pistons for dave bing had a very brief stint with the new uh, the nets then he was traded back to the pistons and then a back to the bullets where he finished his career. So a lot of right. bull, a lot of bullets, a lot of pistons, and some nets thrown in there, yeah. uh, a, a, as well. But uh, Porter here uh, is going to go to the defending NBA finalists, uh, helping to try to mitigate the loss of Tom Henderson uh, to Houston. And uh, a- yeah, a- NBA Finals hero uh, Tom Henderson. You know Tom Henderson of the uh, of the buzzer beater. Uh, yes. Fame, right. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Of course. Yeah. 
Right. But uh, so we have a Washington Post article from 1979 talking about it. It says, quote, the addition of the high step in crowd pleasing Porter, who was known as the little drum major. When he played in Washington from 19... Not a good nickname. I don't know about that. No, you don't like it? Uh, The little drum major? I don't know. It's it's colorful. So here's the... the, They just call him like K-Port now. Yeah, exactly. Well, And here's... So he's got two names listed on Basketball Reference. He has Little Uh Drummer Boy and the Conductor. But the Washington Post says Little Drum Major. So I wonder... I I, I like the Conductor. That's pretty good. The Conductor's great. Yeah, that makes... A Little Drum Major, I don't know. That doesn't quite... The Conductor, though, that's... The Conductor, yeah. I'm for that. That sounds good. But uh, anyway, so he replayed Washington. Is expected to make the Bullets a more exciting and stronger team. I think we're a better team right now than we were at at most any time last year, Bullet Coach Dick Mata said yesterday... Uh, from his off-season home in Fishhaven, Idaho, of course. <laughs> Dick course. Mata would yeah. live in Fishhaven, Idaho. Isn't Dick Mata the one that we found out runs an Airbnb yeah, still? Right, yeah. I Is that so. in Fishhaven, Idaho? I, I it was somewhere in Idaho. I don't, I don't know I my yeah. western Idaho <laughs> geography you, you very don't know well. Your, so. You don't know your Idaho geography. I'm, I'm just I'm not even you. sure if Fishhaven is on the U.S. No, um, it is on the... I don't know anything about Idaho. I'm currently scrolling on Google Maps. Okay, so Fishhaven is on the far uh, east side right. of Idaho. But I think the place right. that we saw that he runs an Airbnb in is um, – I thought it was the west side of, of Idaho. Yeah, but. Idaho. Yeah. I could right, be completely I, wrong, but we, we need to book that before Dick dies because, I mean, he's getting up there in age, so we better uh, – Yeah, complete your um, – yeah, complete your your part, and I'll, I'll try to see okay, if please, I can – Okay, please uh, figure out figure which – Town air, uh, Dick Mata runs an Airbnb, and so that we can. Oh, it, okay. It appears to be okay. The Bluebird Inn Bed and Breakfast at Bear Lake, and it says that Fish Hay- Oh, I'm sorry, no Fish Hagen, Fish Haven. Oh, no, it looks like okay. Bear Lake State Park. It's on the Idaho Utah border. I'm oh, there you go. Sure. So he stayed there yeah. forever. Then he was like, "This place rules. Yeah. I'm going to stay here as a coach, and I'm going to run a, be- a, a beautiful Airbnb." We we got to go to that. We have to go to that. I believe we're going to go. Yeah, we'll, we'll record a live episode there. We kind of have know. to. Yeah. Yeah. A do, do a do a manscaped read in front of Dick Mata. I'm sure he'd yeah. do that. <laughs> yeah, we could, Speaking of dicks, right. <laughs> let's talk about manscaped. He's like, <laughs> he's like come on, I like I, I, my years on this earth are like really low. Here. <laughs> like, I don't want right. to spend 20 minutes listening to you idiots talk about NBA history, but uh, we're gonna do it anyway. Uh, right. I think uh, a quote here from <clears throat> him as well. I think Elvin Hayes and Bobby Dandridge. Will have good as or better years than they did last year, and the fast break baskets and cherry picking we get from Kevin will make us a more exciting team. Does he mean cherry picking in the sense that I think he means, or does he mean like, like stealing I, the ball? I, yeah, I, I think the yeah stealing the ball, and then basically the idea that you know, they'd already be you know they'd already be under the basket, you know they'd already have run the floor or have not had to go as de- down as far to the floor. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> similar concept, but. I don't, I don't think directly cherry picking. Right. We have to, we have two more quotes here, then then we'll give right. you the uh, the unfortunate <laughs> end of all these quotes. All right. So I don't all want right. to gush so much that it makes Tom Henderson look bad because he did a good job for us. We won a world championship with him, but to lose your playmaker and come up with a prize like Porter to take his place has to excite you. I'm having a tough time right now. Not getting too excited. Fish Haven, yeah. Idaho. He's getting too excited. Can't yeah, even catch a, fish. He's too excited. That's but, a good manscape uh, read right there. Yeah. <laughs> right. I remember as soon as the season was over, I told Bob Ferry that I didn't want to go to camp with the same team. Team we had i thought we needed something new and boy we got something new the boredom will be gone from camp now so kevin porter uh this is just gonna totally transform the washington bullets yeah, i mean absolutely. this is just gonna i mean all those quotes there from dick mata uh the bullets they had 54 wins the year prior they fell to 39 wins 
the roster was old and everybody got hurt. Yeah. So. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh well. Yeah. Hey, you know, I can't win a ball, but hey. And then. Uh, yeah. yeah. Then yeah. Then then he pretty Jim much Bonagos. was done. Yeah, he's pretty much yeah. he started to slow down a little bit, and yeah. Uh, it went to, went to the uh, uh, Mavericks. You know, goes goes right from the Bulls to the Mavericks, right? Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. All right. Kevin Porter did. To, to be fair, to Porter, he did in 1981. He did lead the league in, in assists. But yeah, uh, he played played well. You know, 13.4. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just and then basically, yeah, the injuries kind of derail uh, the rest of his career. He plays 11 games in his career after that. So, unfortunately, sort of toward the uh, the end for him. But uh, yeah. But yes, uh, notable at the time, certainly. Um, I always could talk about uh, Kevin Porter, the conductor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I I believe little drummer man slash little drummer boy slash little drum major, whichever one you want to put. Yeah, I think we'll we'll respect him and call him the conductor from now on. Sounds right. All right, cool. Uh, Yes, and um, the Boston Celtics trade Bob McAdoo to the Detroit Pistons for. Two 1980 first-round draft picks. One of them is Ricky Brown. The other is Joe Barry Carroll. That, of course, that's that's a name that I think most of our listeners know from another trade that will uh, that this led to. But um, so this exchange arranged as compensation for Boston signing ML Carr. So which had been about uh, about six weeks earlier. So they negotiate this. They the um, Celtics had acquired Bob McAdoo, I think, for three draft picks. It was a, a trade that uh, the team owner, John Y. Brown, had made um, without consulting Red Arback. Probably not a great idea, you know, um, overall. So, you know, Bob McAdoo didn't like the Celtics. The Celtics didn't like Bob McAdoo. Um, and, and Bob McAdoo even said, uh, he said, yeah, he found out from on the front page of the New York Times sports section that, yeah, he'd uh, been traded to what he called his least favorite city, uh, Boston. So, uh, the Knicks never really uh, never called him to reveal the trade. He said Michael Ray Richardson had stopped by his house to let him know. So um, he would later uh, he, he he on a podcast with Cedric Maxwell, Michael Cooper. Um, he said I didn't want to go to Boston because I was hated in Boston. And I hated Boston myself. Considered it the most racist uh, city uh, in the NBA. So uh, you know wasn't, wasn't happy uh, wasn't happy about that. Um, and, uh, yeah, things didn't go great there. There's a New York Times article from September of 79 right after the trade. Uh, said that McAdoo virtually forced the trade. Uh, his ego had been hurt when Dave Cowens, the player coach, did not start him regularly. Um, the bitterness uh, carried over into the offseason, even though Bill Fitch had become the coach and Cowens was set to return playing center. He said, I didn't want to be in Boston because of Dave Collins. He sat me down because he didn't like the idea of me being there last season. The team didn't have enough talent to keep me sitting. Um, and Collins also not a fan of McAdoo. Didn't really want to play with him. So um, they were happy to leave each other. Um, and then McAdoo was, he was happy to go to a uh, to a team that wanted him in, uh, in Detroit. He had three years remaining on a $450,000 year contract. He signed with the Knicks. He said, it'll be a pleasure to play alongside a bonafide center like Bob Lanier for the first time in my seven-season career. Dick Vitale, who's the Pistons coach at this time, says it's a good deal for Boston and a great deal for us. Well, <laughs> not great. So, yeah, mm. the, uh, the, uh, the Celtics that year, they you know, they win, you know, 50-plus um, games. They end up going to the – or they don't go to the finals, but they um, you know, end up going to the conference finals and losing to the uh, Sixers. Ah, the Pistons. Well, yes, they finished sixteen and sixty-six. Uh, Dick Vitale is gone after a four and eight start. 
The Pistons finally trade the long-suffering Bob Lanier to the Bucks. Um, statistically, McAdoo, you know, still plays okay. 21.1 points per game and 8.1 rebounds per game. Clearly slipped, though, despite uh, only being 28. He'd averaged almost 27 points per game his first eight seasons. So definitely his numbers were down. Uh, his interest in playing was down. Uh, and because of that trade, um, you know, the Pistons, despite having the worst record in the league, don't even have a pick. The Celtics get the number one overall pick in that coin flip, and they end up trading Joe Barry Carroll for Kevin McHale and Robert Parrish, basically setting themselves up for the rest of the decade, along with Bird, of course. Uh, McAdoo only plays six games for the 81 Pistons, gets into a dispute with the team who he says won't play him despite him being healthy, you know, perhaps it was the Pistons trying to tank or trying to there was some talk of maybe trying to depress McAdoo's, you know, next contract mm-hmm. or what have you. But uh, there's an article in the New York Times in March of 81 kind of outlining all of this. Uh, McAdoo ends up being released six days after the article comes out and signs with the Nets. He plays 10 games with the Nets. Uh, at the end of the 81 season, averaging 9.3 points per game, 2.6 rebounds per game, and one assist per game in just 15 minutes per game. So, you know, the Nets don't have a lot of interest in playing a whole lot. Um, and then uh, doesn't end up signing with the Nets during that offseason, but they still kind of hold his rights. So, um, you know, they you know, they didn't come to terms with him because he had high, he had high salary demands. Um, and then he ends up, uh, getting traded to the, uh, Lakers and being, you know, a key part of their, uh, their bench run, of course, you know, for the next season, he's got to reinvent himself as a player. I know we've talked about before, but yeah, he definitely really, um, you know, went from, you know, being like one of the elite players in the league into being, you know, basically a pariah, uh, you know, in just a couple of years and not really, you know, it wasn't like, you know, there's a lot of situations like this where there were like drugs involved and there was some obvious slippage of play, but here it was just like, you know, like you, it wasn't like a complete jerk or anything. It just was just like a, a situation where he got put in situations where he was just, uh, you know, not happy to be there. And uh, it was just like a, a kind of a weird seventies thing, I guess. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. We, we've done multiple shows where we talked about, yeah, how, how weird his career was and how, um, how lo- how he might not get enough respect because that that the last half of his career is just so weird and so strange and he doesn't have one home base and there's not one spot but yeah just a tremendous player that uh, unfortunately got caught up in in a few pretty uh, uh pretty bad situations but uh all right so we ready to move on to 1980 here yeah yeah not uh, the, yeah don't don't we'll go- uh, it's not going to get exciting people <laughs> 1980 right. is uh we'll everybody got quick. sick everybody got sick of free agency in 1980 and said you know right. what <laughs> let's yeah. just not do anything so right um, all right, we'll start here a with this. Yeah, yeah. yeah, there's a few. There's a few here. So the San Diego yeah. Clippers, uh, they hire Paul Silas as head coach. Uh, the Seattle Supersonics trade Paul Silas to the San Diego Clippers. Uh, it's one of these weird kind of head coach trade things. Hey, if you're going to sign right. our coach, you got to give us something. Right. Uh, the Seattle Supersonics say, uh, how about a 1985 second round pick? And they go, sure, okay. Sounds great. Uh, and they draft uh, yeah. somebody named Calvin Duncan, who uh, we're not going to talk about Calvin Duncan because... Calvin Duncan, uh, Paul no. Silas, uh, he inherited a, a Clippers team and a franchise that at still at this point was somewhat kind of mildly, somewhat sort of respectable, yeah. just yeah. a little bit. I mean, they had come for the yeah. Buffalo Braves and the Braves obviously had some pretty good season and some pretty good players and stuff. And, and the San Diego Clippers were, it was like, Hey, they're doing stuff. They're trying to be competitive. Right. They're trying to make this sure. a thing. Yeah. Uh, they had won 43 games the year prior, the first year in San Diego, and they fell to 35 and 47, but it's the Clippers and that's not bad. You know what I mean? That's okay. 
Uh, so Silas, obviously a former NBA player, gets his first coaching gig here. It starts well. It does not end well. As we said, Silas goes uh, 36 and 46 his first year. Then the bottom falls out. They go 17 and 65 the next year, the worst in franchise history. Uh, at, at least at that point, the worst in franchise history. Do not worry. The Clippers, would, they're going to make up for that in, in the future in 1982. Uh, and then they follow it up in 25 and 57 record in 1983. Uh, and that is it for Paul, who would then unfortunately have to become an assistant for like another decade plus before finally getting another head coaching gig with the Charlotte Hornets in 1999. Uh, and he'd make four straight playoffs with the Charlotte slash New Orleans Hornets as well as they moved to, 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 to New Orleans during that period, too. I guess you can add Oklahoma City to that at, uh, at some points as well. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, yeah, nine, so a couple more 1980. Uh, very, very much footnotes, but um, the Kansas City Kings signed Leon Douglas as a veteran free agent and sent a 1981 first round pick that ended up being Kelly Triptuka, uh to the Pistons as compensation. So the Pistons, uh, they get a pick back after uh, the uh, situation with Bakadu. They, hey, actually, they would get draft picks and they would use them pretty well uh, starting in 81. You know, they get Chuck Kelly Tribuka, they would get uh, Isaiah Thomas. So yeah, things would get better there pretty quickly. But uh, yes, so um, yeah, and, and the, the Kings end up... Um, they were fairly, they were okay. They were kind of mediocre. So that's a 12th pick where they get Tribuca. And Tribuca, you know, he's an all-star his rookie year and averages, uh, you know, 20 for uh, points per game for the early uh, 80s Pistons. So uh, solid player there. Um, also, the Atlanta Hawks signed Tom Burleson as a, as a uh, veteran free agent. Mm-hmm. And then a 1981 second-round pick, Eddie Johnson, goes to the Kings. So, you know, the Kings lose a... Uh, they lose a first round pick in Keller Tribuka, but they get a good second rounder, Eddie Johnson. Yeah, um, they get a, a very productive second rounder. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, Burleson, um, you know, he was a, a, a pretty good, you know, NBA big man. He's like seven two. He was a pretty good um, NBA big man, and you know, for Seattle for a few years, you know, kind of you know, injuries kind of felled him at, at this point, and he doesn't have much more of a career. But honestly, you know, he's really um, best known. He was uh, involved. Uh, the 1972 Olympics, of course, there's the um, hostage situation, and he ends up at one point having a grow, a gun drawn upon him, and he's the last, uh, he's the person with the last known sight of the Israeli hostages before they were murdered. So that's 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 nuts. I did not realize that he was, um, you know, actually like in the middle of that situation. Yeah, I didn't either. I mean, he's right. lucky. He's lucky to be alive. I mean, honestly, and, and that's right. I think that yeah. the quotes I was able to find is he like at the time was just kind of like, well, that's kind of strange. What the hell's going on here? You know, like whatever. And then you know, little did, you know, he'll find out pretty soon that like, oh, those yeah, everybody got murdered. I mean, it was just a horrible, horrible situation. So uh, that could have been much even even that much more worse uh, as he was just kind of in the wrong place at the wrong time. And then uh, uh, to add into his uh, really really awesome time in Munich for the 1972 Olympics. Uh, he's on that team USA that loses the Soviet Union in the gold medal game, which uh, obviously was uh, under much uh, <laughs> suspicion. Love, love so that's scrutiny cur- cur- about that. Yeah, yeah. So, so I, I'm imagining when Tom got back to U.S. soil, he was like, "Yep, yeah, that was kind of stupid. <laughs> like that yeah, was not that, a very fun trip to go uh, yeah. Germany." Right. I don't think I want to go back. Yeah, I had a gun oh. drawn on me. Yeah. Uh, I was next to uh, a horrible, horrible massacre, and then you know we had the Soviet Union game. So yeah, this is yeah. This is great, I had to great spend times. I had to spend time with Doug Collins. Yeah, know, right. That, I had right. to be in the same <laughs> yeah. place with Doug Collins a lot. Right. So. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's an eventful, yeah. Uh, eventful summer uh, there. So yeah, 
And yeah, the, the Kings end up getting uh, Eddie Johnson. Yeah, he spent six years with the Kings franchise. One other key score before, you know, he goes to Phoenix and Seattle and bounces around the league for, uh, you know, the last half of his career. Uh, ends up being on the, uh, yeah, lasting to the point where he's on the Charles Barkley, Charles, uh, Scottie Pippen Rockets. So, uh, you know, it's a, you know, a depressing thought. But yeah, he had a lot of good times during um, that point. He is, uh, this is not the same Eddie Johnson that was arrested years later for the sexual assault of minor that is fast eddie johnson who played for primarily with the hawks this is the good eddie johnson so just uh remember that so yeah and there, there's a there's a, a lot of controversy at the time as well i won't, won't spend a ton of time on this but when the uh the news of fast eddie johnson came out uh, a lot of news reports used this eddie johnson and this right. his yeah. career and his pictures and all that sort of stuff and right. uh he uh, had to say hi that's not me that did that yeah. to do a little bit of better research not- not happy about that yeah yeah so he uh he ended up I, I forget exactly what happened but i think he ended up saying uh you guys need to be a little bit more careful when you uh report yeah. this stuff and, and maybe don't use my picture and say eddie johnson you know he's right. family members calling him saying eddie <laughs> what the hell's going on here so yeah. right uh yeah do better work everybody please yeah all right, I'll talk about this one here. This is the right, Chicago yeah, go, Bulls. Yeah, 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 my yeah. Chicago Bulls. And in 1980, sure, they said, sure. all right, yeah. let's figure this out. What are we going to do here? We're going to sign Larry Keenan as a veteran free agent. We're going to send a 1981 second-round draft pick, eventually going to be Gene Banks, and a 1981 second-round pick, eventually going to be Ed Raines. We're going to send those to the San Antonio Spurs, and we're going to get things going here. And, uh, yeah, uh, Keenan, former All-Star. He had averaged 20.1 points per game and 9.9 rebounds per game the prior year. Uh, in San Antonio, kind of fell off a cliff with the Bulls. We'll talk about it in a bit, though. Uh, the Bulls, they were a good team at this point. They had won 45 games right. the year prior. They made it all the way to the conference semifinals. Uh, and Keenan was a big part of that you know, when, when he comes into the team. Unfortunately, uh, next year, the things start to go south. He only averages 7.2 points per game. The team starts to kind of fall uh, into its malaise that it would be until, the, uh, until Jordan came to town. Uh, he'd play five games for the Bulls in 1983, and then he'd eventually be waived. Uh, he finished out his career with 11 games on the Warriors, 32 games on the Cavaliers before finally calling it quits. So Larry Keenan, good for a year, kind of got them, you know, helped them get to uh, the Western Conference semifinals. But uh, unfortunately, everybody on that team just started kind of get old all at the same time, and and uh, they ended up uh, going in a different direction and basically just being terrible for a while, <laughs> uh, having Reggie Theus and being terrible until uh, Michael yeah. Jordan came to town. So that was a, yeah. that was their next strategy. <laughs> Let's right. Let's maybe have Reggie Theus or just be bad. I don't know. Which, which yeah. one. We'll try both. Well, How about they, that? They, they both, yeah. That <laughs> Let's do a little, yeah. Bit of a, a little bit of B. Yeah. Let's see how right. it works out. We uh, could be bad with Reggie Theus. Yeah, who knew? Yeah. <laughs> right. So, right. Uh, anyway, uh, Gene Banks, uh, we mentioned him. He would play uh, four. Gene Banks, yeah. Yeah, he played four relatively uh, productive years for the Spurs before the Bulls said, hey, you know what? We, we made a wrong here in 1980. Yeah. We're going to get this on the right track. We are going to bring Gene Banks back yeah. into town. So Take it to the Banks. Yeah. Uh, so 1985, he is traded by the San Antonio Spurs to the Chicago Bulls for Steve Johnson and a 1985 second-round pick, Mike Britton. Uh, unfortunately, they brought uh, Gene Banks back in 1986 and 1987, and uh, the Bulls, at that time, not really in the need for a 6'6", 6'7", shooting guard, small forward, combo guard at the time, as they had a pretty good one in uh, in, in Michael Jordan. So uh, Hey, you can't have too many, you know? Exactly. Well, they, they did. I apparently think that they had too many because uh, Gene Banks was uh, eventually let go pretty quickly there after. He would go to Europe. Uh, he played there until 1993, actually, so good for oh, him. Oh, uh, yeah. He spent some years as assistant coach for the Washington Wizards. And now, Jason, this is not my opinion, and I don't know who wrote this. I don't know the source of this, okay. but it was on his Wikipedia page, on Gene Banks' okay. Wikipedia page, Okay. All right. So I mentioned he was an assistant coach for the Washington Wizards, okay? Right, right. Quote, yeah. he is yeah. credited with the development of such players 
as JaVale McGee, Andre Blatch, and Kevin Serafin. Yeah, that is. Don't know if I'd hey, advertise that. <laughs> hey, hey, one of those three is an Olympian. So, um, yeah, actually, two of those three was not Blatch an Olympian for the Philippines. So, oh, you're right. Yeah, right, yeah. right, right, right. Right. So, and... two Olympians. So that that's something right there. <laughs> but I love that the development of Jamil McGee, Andre Blatch, and uh, and Kevin Serafin. So, thank you, Gene Banks, for uh, giving us. Kevin Serafin, I guess, and making him great. Hey. Oh, Kevin, I forgot Kevin Serafin, he may have coached three Olympians because I forgot Kevin Serafin was from France. Oh, Hold wow. on, we got to find out if Kevin Serafin right, ever played in the Olympics because then, yeah. then we're talking, man. We are talking right. about in all time. Yes, he did. Man, all right. Let me apologize to Gene Banks. Right, yeah. Because uh, my dude coached three Olympians, so. Yeah. Fantastic. It was key in their development. Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Let's, let's, let's not. Let's, right. Let's, let's not. Let's, let's, he was credited. Yeah. He he was credited. For yeah. It. There so, you go. Yeah. So uh, as far as Ed Reigns, I mentioned Ed Reigns there. Uh, he played two seasons. Uh, he was not good, and I don't know anything else about Ed Reigns. All right. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Uh, not related to Tim Reigns. So. Um, yeah. No, there's only one Reigns in, in our uh, in the the collective over and back hearts, and it's it's not Roman, and it's not Ed. It's uh, it's Tim Raines. So. Absolutely, absolutely, the Rock. Um, yeah. So I think we're gonna we're gonna put a pin in this here. Um, it, it, we might dig into. Well, I, I guess we're gonna talk a little bit more. That's right. Um, so you know, there are another basically seven years where the again, we talked about the rules change a bit. So they go to where it becomes more like modern restricted free agency, where instead of competition being automatic, basically a player can sign an offer sheet with a different team. And then, you know, the team can either choose to match it or they don't match it or they work out a signing trade. So basically from 81 to 88 free agency gets pretty boring. Um, I think the, the, what, the one thing that is um, particularly interesting, and I don't think we're going to go, too deep into it because um, you know, we've talked about it before, but 1982 off season um, by far the biggest transaction, you know, during this period is incumbent MVP Moses Malone. Um, officially Houston matches an offer sheet that he signed with the Sixers, but then they work out a sign and trade where, the Sixers get Caldwell Jones and a 1983 first round draft pick that ends up being Rodney McRae. So um, the, the Sixers also trade separately before this traded Daryl Dawkins to the Nets for a first round pick that uh, it was really just intended to clear salary so that they could, you know, afford um, Moses Malone. I, this is right around the time where um, the salary cap becomes a, a factor. I think that actually comes into play in 83, but I think people knew it was coming. And, you know, it was obviously, even if it's a salary cap, isn't a, a direct factor, um, you know, you still have to you know maintain a decent payroll. Right. <laughs> right. So, um, so yes. So, uh, you know, there, there are a lot of ins and outs toward that situation, but, you know, we're running a little long here, but I, Wanted to mention that because, yeah, the um, if we're looking at the off seasons, you know, the after that, the biggest, uh, probably the biggest uh, free agency signing in 1983 might be Lewis Lloyd uh, for the Rockets. <laughs> uh, 84 uh, might be uh, Pat Cummings or Elston Turner. 
Um, 85, Ray Williams uh, or Kyle Macy. Um, 86, we got a Lander Woolrich. That's kind of a big deal. Okay, uh, yeah, he's a guy. Frank, Frank Burkowski signing with the uh, Lakers. Is a there we go. See, we said, yeah. we told you, right. we promised additional Frank Burkowski and you got it. Yeah, 1987, Tony Campbell, uh, maybe, uh, with the Bullets. Uh, Lester Cotter, you know. Uh, so up until 88, uh, which is finally, you know, Tom Chambers is an unrestricted free agent. And then we've got, you know, a number of decent names there. Walter Davis, Mike Woodson, Kurt Rambis, uh, Tree Rollins, Orlando Woolridge, and uh, aforementioned Moses Malone signing with the Hawks. So finally some some names um, go there. But, yeah, so the next few years, you know, what is interesting because it was kind of considered, a, you know, a concession for the players to, you know, get the uh, you could get the offer sheets and the matching thing. You know, that was kind of a, you know, meant to be an advancement in uh, free agency. But it really, in practical terms, it basically stifled, a, you know, really very many interesting transactions outside, of, you know, the, of the most blown situation. Yeah, which which a lot of times, you know, when, when when new things happen, especially with like player movement and free agency and that sort of stuff, there's a lot of just like. You would think it's like, oh, immediately everyone's going to jump on board, but there was a lot of just like, yeah, this is too complicated, or ah, we don't want to give anything up, or ah, you know, it, 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 like you said, it led to a lot of people having cold feet about about signing guys, and and, and most people just not getting signed. Um, so you led right. to Frank Brukowski being a highlight of an off season. So that would be yeah, sure. I mean, ESPN would go out of business if, if Frank Brukowski. You know what I mean? Like right. around the clock coverage. All right, guys, what are we hearing about Frank Brukowski? All right, yeah. so, you know, huge. Yeah. Here's Woj on here to talk about Frank Brukowski. <laughs> Brukowski. Yeah, so, yeah. Yes. All right. So what I'm hearing, guys, is that Brukowski's on his way to, you know, yeah, he's, he signed the offer sheet and now he's on his way. And what about Bill Willoughby? Tell us about Bill Willoughby. Like, you know. yeah. Yeah, Sham, uh, Sham gets the uh, the Shams gets the uh, Bill Willoughby right. scoop gets, there. Gets yes. the yeah the Elson Turner, uh, yeah <laughs> right. right yes the Jeff Lamp uh, uh, scoop you know for uh, yeah like literally the '87 off season there's four of them and they're all within like two weeks in October like that's the other thing like <laughs> yeah. a lot of these like nothing happens until it, nothing all happens between the draft and like September October like you know there's there's literally no transactions of yeah. notes almost between <laughs> that time you know it's. Uh, so yeah, different <laughs> it's more. not very exciting yeah right exactly so irish well i think we can close this one up i think we're good yeah cool well thanks um everyone for checking us out you can also you can uh, find us at the uh, step back at fansided.com lots of great uh, nba coverage here as you know we're starting to uh you know, get close to training camp and uh you know the new season coming aboard you, you can always uh, find good content there um of course, uh, you know, if you're into what we're doing, you appreciate a, a rating and review on any podcast platform that you uh, use. And you can uh, follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Over and Back. So thank you again for listening. We'll be back again soon. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.